Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Revelation chapter 13. I mentioned yesterday that in chapter 12, verse 1, we began looking at the fourth great vision in the book of Revelation. It begins at chapter 12, verse 1, and it goes all the way through to Revelation 13, verse 18. It's a three-part vision introducing us to our enemy, a sort of gross parody of the Holy Trinity. In the Trinity, we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Well, in this vision, we meet the devil, the beast from the sea, and the second beast, the one who looks like a lamb and speaks like a dragon, the one normally called the false prophet. This is the the axis of evil, to steal a phrase, and their desire is to harass and destroy God's people. Let's read the first 10 verses describing the first beast, the beast from the sea. The text says, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems, or ten crowns, on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, For he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for forty-two months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of, in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Let's talk first then about this beast from the sea. That he comes up out of the sea most likely means that this beast arises from among the peoples of the earth. The sea is used in the Old Testament and the New Testament as a symbol for peoples and nations raging, rising, and swirling about, giving birth to all manner of foul things. You can see that, for example, in Isaiah 17, 12, which says, Woe to the multitude of many people who make a noise like the roar of the seas, and to the rushing of nations that make a rushing like the rushing of many waters. We see it also later in the book of Revelation, chapter 17, verse 15. Then he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. All right, so this beast 
arises out of peoples, multitudes, and nations. It is described using language taken from the Old Testament book of Daniel. Daniel describes four world empires using the imagery of beasts in Daniel chapter 7. It says, Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, each different than the other. The first was like a lion, the second was like a bear, the third was like a leopard, Daniel 7, 2-6. So in Daniel, these beasts represent present and coming world governments. The lion is Babylon, the bear is Medo-Persia, and the leopard is Greece. And the fourth beast in Daniel's vision is Rome. So here in Revelation 13, we have a composite beast. He resembles beasts that have come before. Therefore, commentators generally agree that the beast from the sea in Revelation 13 represents government and empire raised up in opposition to God's people. This is a picture of the devil animating government in order to persecute God's people. Now, I suppose we can talk about the seven heads now, or we could wait until we meet them again later in chapter 17. The, the same beast reappears in chapter 17. That's very common in apocalyptic literature. Often something will be introduced, that just a little bit of detail will be given, but then if you wait, then some more detail will be given. That's the nature of these overlapping transparency slides, right? The further we get into it, the more detail we have. In chapter 17 of Revelation, we see the great prostitute, and she's riding on a beast. She's riding on this beast from Revelation 13, as the text makes very clear. Revelation 17.3 says, He carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. Well, that's, that's this beast, right? So in, in chapter 17, we see the whore, the prostitute, riding on the beast. Or rather, we see the whole idolatrous culture that has been designed by the devil to seduce and destroy God's people being propped up by demonic government. Okay, that's the picture in Revelation 17. But in chapter 17, more is made about the seven heads of this beast. Verse 9 of chapter 17 says, The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings five of whom have fallen, one is, the other's not yet come, and when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seventh, and it goes to destruction. So the seven heads are seven mountains upon which the woman is seated. That's a clear reference to Rome. Rome is a city that was famously founded upon the seven mountains. And the whore, which is seductive and idolatrous culture, is identified in the first century with the cesspool that was the city of Rome. Right? Rome was an empire, but it was also a culture. But there are also seven kings, we're told. One is, the other has not yet come, and when he does come, he must remain for a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it's an eighth, but it belongs to the seventh and goes to destruction. What in the world is going on there? Well, there's probably more acute symbolism in these chapters than in any other region of the Bible. So we have to be careful not to lose the forest in pursuit of the trees. The, the main idea here seems to be that this destructive alliance between demonic government and demonic culture will manifest in human history multiple times. 
and always designed specifically to entice, deceive, and ultimately destroy God's people. Now, some scholars go so far as to identify the seven heads as seven great persecuting empires, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, and then one more to come. The one to come will be like the ones before. It will be composite, part Babylon, part Persia, part Greece. Each time you think it's been killed and dealt with, it comes back. That's the meaning of verse 3 in chapter 13, right? It seems to have received a mortal wound. Everybody thinks it's gone, but its mortal wound was healed and the whole earth marveled. See, people will think we're in an era of peace and human liberty. They'll say peace, peace, when there is no peace. And another demonic empire will arise and persecute the people of God and the world will marvel. The net result of all this is that more and more people will worship the dragon. Many will do that by worshiping the beast. That's, that is by worshiping aspects of culture and government, as per verse 4 of chapter 13. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. That seems to be the meaning of verse 10. Verse 10 reflects upon verse 7. Because the beast has authority to persecute the saints and to conquer them, we must not think, brothers and sisters, that we will be delivered from all our trials and tribulations. No, no, many will go into captivity. Many will be slain with the sword. Many are being slain with the sword right here. Can I say a word to my North American friends? You know, I, I find it absolutely unfathomable that, unfathomable that some of us think that, you know, God loves his people too much to ever allow them to go through tribulation can I ask you a question? What does that say about the love of God for our brothers and sisters who are right now going through tribulation in Egypt, in Libya, in Iran, in Pakistan, and in North Korea? If God loves his people too much to let them go through tribulation, does that mean he only loves Christians in the West? That, that is the sort of thing that you could only say while sipping your $5 latte on your way to work in your air-conditioned car in North America. That is a ridiculous and highly localized presupposition. This text makes it very clear that those who are going to go into captivity are going to go into captivity. Those who are going to be slain are going to be slain. Here's a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Let's jump back into the text at verse 11. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. This beast comes up from the earth. It looks harmless, right? Looks like, looks like Jesus. It looks like a lamb. But it speaks like the devil. Now, all of these clues lead to the near universal conclusion that this beast represents the wisdom of the world. False religion, false science, and godless philosophy. If the first beast is the fist of Satan, the second beast is the mind of Satan. Some of these false prophets will be found in the universities, some will be found in the television airways, and some will be found leading other religions and cults, and some of them will be found preaching in church pulpits this Sunday. Jesus says that in Matthew 7. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, inwardly they're ravenous wolves. They look like lambs. They speak like wolves. They look like Jesus. They're actually voice mouthpieces for the devil. Chapter 13 goes on to say in verse 12, It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. 
So the forces of worldly wisdom, false religion, pseudo-Christian, and full-blown pagan, false science, and godless philosophy will work together to elevate the authority and power of the first beast, which is anti-Christian government. Verse 13, it performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. So the second beast offers many convincing proofs, some of them overtly religious in nature, such that the masses are deceived and they worship the first beast. The Bible speaks elsewhere about the false wonders that falsely Christian deceivers will employ. We see that, for example, in 2 Thessalonians 2. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Listen, the, the, the fact that your religious leader can work a miracle or, or, or speak a sign doesn't mean that he's from God. It could equally mean that he's from the devil. This happens, according to verse 12 in 2 Thessalonians 2, to those who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Two types of people are deceived. Those who don't take God's word seriously and those who secretly prefer pleasure and sensuality and sexuality to the righteousness of God. In a sense, then, the false prophets with their message of permissiveness and sensuality buttressed by displays of pseudo-spirituality effectively prune away all the false believers who never did love the truth and who took pleasure in unrighteousness. Listen to this, my friends. Never forget that God in his sovereignty uses even the destructive plans of the devil for his glory and our ultimate good. That the second beast was able to enliven an image of the first beast is seen by many to be, again, more of this language of parody. This is all a sort of ghastly mimicking of the Trinity, right? The, the Holy Spirit has charismatic gifts. Well, so does the second beast. The Holy Spirit enlivens the church as the dwelling place of God. Well, the second beast makes the idolatrous image of the beast live and speak with power too, but it is the power of death rather than the power of life. It's probably best to understand this to mean that the beast of false religion and worldly wisdom will give to the powers of anti-Christian government the moral authority to finally and utterly persecute, and destroy Christianity. Verse 16. Also, it causes, causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the hand of the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who is understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man and his number is 666. Now, Again, I, I think what we're seeing here is the language of parody. The devil is mimicking the work of God. He has his own unholy trinity. We've been told that the Holy Spirit seals the people of the Lamb with a mark on their forehead. So here we have the devil sealing his people with a mark on their forehead. This is a symbolic way of saying that just like the people of God were sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked off as elect, so also the second beast will cause everyone to be marked and sealed as servants of the devil. This is sifting. This is people settling into their camp and being sealed as such. The text also says that because the followers of Satan are going to have control over the machinery of government, they will use that power to shut God's people out of the world economy. 
Now, it's not hard at all to imagine that happening. In fact, it's happened several times throughout human history. Now, as for the number 666, this is a clear instance of what is called gematria, a Hebrew code whereby letters become numbers. In some way, this is a creative mode of referring to Nero Caesar, whose name a couple different ways can, can work out to 666. But it's also uh, probably just another way of saying that this is human government and authority and, and demonically inspired, trying to raise it up to the level of God. You know, if the number of God is 777, well, here we have 666, always rising up, never, never reaching the mark. It's also probably a way of connecting those things to the template of Nero. Antichrist will be like Nero in the same way that he will be like Antiochus Epiphanes. Those men were Antichrist, and they established the pattern going forward for Antichrist. The Bible says that there will be many Antichrists leading up to the great Antichrist. The Bible says that in 1 John 2.18. Children, it is the last hour, as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Do you hear that? Many have come. And one ultimate Antichrist is coming. He'll be like all those who've come before. He will use the power of the state to promote his demonic designs and to persecute and destroy God's people. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, friends, for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those at intotheword.ca. You can also connect with Pastor Paul and other Bible readers on the Into the Word Facebook page. Just type Into the Word into the search bar. If you'd like to contribute to this listener-supported program, go to the website and click the Give bar in the top right corner. Once again, that's intotheword.ca. We hope to see you again real soon right here for another episode of Into the Word. Thank you for